Back in the studio today, I've got Justin Ebert with me and Ryan Vincent, uh, two men that absolutely love uh, the Lord and his word uh, and you. And they are going to be joining me talking about um, the final week of Jesus. Um, trying to answer two things. One of them is how do we have a better understanding of, uh, of uh, what Jesus' final week was like to help prepare our hearts and minds for Easter. Um, but also there just are a number of uh, discrepancies. Some people actually call them contradictions that uh, exist in the gospel accounts. And we're going to walk through that, um, not just to explain um, those problems or difficulties away, but help us understand how those discrepancies give us insight into the depth and the richness of who Jesus Christ is. Hope this podcast is a blessing to you. The Christian life is interesting, complicated, I would like for you to share with me what some of the, personally, not what you've dealt with in ministry, but like personally, some of the biggest uh, struggles that you've had in terms of either like a, a, a doctrine, something that you read in the scriptures. Um, and, and I'm not talking about like, man, I find it the hardest to love others like myself. It's not, it's not that. It's, it's more of some of the deeper philosophical questions, maybe some of the objections that you've had to deal with with others that have towards the faith in God or faith in Christ. What, what are the, what, what's the, what's the one I, we don't have time to do like five of them, but what is the one that just really just hits you and you're like, wow, yeah, no, I'm like, I, I wrestle with that too. What we're going to be doing for the rest of eternity. <laughs> okay. I, I like thinking about it. Like I enjoy it. That's fun table talk to me, but it kind of, it a little bit intimidates me so, thinking through that. Are you saying like the idea of eternity doesn't yes. make sense to you? Yes. Okay. The idea, I mean, truly like what will our consciousness and our activity be like? Yeah. And That's, you don't, but what I'm asking is, is not like, so what is it? I'm going, when you think about that, it makes you wonder if it's true. Yes. When okay. I start going yep. down the road of yep. existence after I take my final breath yep. and what happens, Yeah. it's like, is this Am I crazy? Yeah, yeah. Am I actually going to have an experience after my final breath? Okay. I I do. I I have I process that a lot. I, I I don't know if it's in my top four or five, but I have to admit, like it's now I know what you're talking about. I'm I, I share it. What do you got? Mine is I've always had difficulty with the concept that God does not change because he's unchanging, and then he becomes a man. I'm like, wait, hold on. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you see him, you know, even kind of haggling with his prophets, Moses famously. And it seems like God changes, but I, the Lord, do not change. Like, I've always had a hard time. I believe it's true because he said it. I just, there's got to be like a, there, there's clearly a part of that that like a finite human can't comprehend, like an unchanging God who is kind of changing. Who also responds to prayer. I know. Yeah. And we'll relate. No, it's so like, that's yeah. crazy. No, these are big questions. Um, you know, I'm not surprised that uh, you guys picked ones that maybe aren't really the top of what I hear other people objecting to or struggling with. Um, I think that's kind of interesting. One of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with, and here we are now in Holy Week, um, walking through the final days and the events of Christ's life um, as we prepare to celebrate Easter and the resurrection on Sunday. Um, but clearly, one of the greatest objections, which 
I guess you guys have worked through these, are a lot of the what they would call either um, like a, a complete contradiction or a discrepancy in, in, in the biblical accounts, but specifically in the gospel accounts about the, the life of Jesus in terms of who he is. And not just simply that Luke's the only one that records the Good Samaritan. We could understand why that is, but when there appears to be, okay, how did that fit together? Um, I, I don't know if those two accounts actually fit. Um, so what I would like us for, for us to do to just help people understand what's happening during that final week, uh, take a look at some of those events and not try to answer them from just the discrepancies, but, but maybe trying to help people see how some of these questions that come up um, really can uh, be, be good questions to try to solve and to really show us almost the depth of the biblical narrative, the depth of the biblical texts, and help us to see that some of the what somebody might consider like a discrepancy or might consider uh, the the difference to be discrediting instead you know turning that around and it's it really isn't that there's yeah. another way to understand it so the the purpose of this podcast is far more for us to uh, kind of enjoy the complexity of the of the four biblical narratives the final week of Jesus's life and we're going to stay away from um, the resurrection accounts. I'd like to come back actually and say, hey, let's talk about the differences in, in terms of how the resurrection accounts happen. But this week, Holy Week, what's going on? What's happening? What are some of the some of the differences, discrepancies? Question for you. So we did a podcast similar to this on non-final week activities, yep. discrepancies. One of the questions we asked was when you first started recognizing some of these in your own reading and personal study and thought or conversation with people, how did that hit you? Was it like, Ooh, fun challenge to figure out or yeah, I would never struggle with that. Or, Oh yeah, that I really did have a little bit of a crisis moment there for a little bit when I was younger. Yeah, no, I, I have never had a crisis on this. I never have. Um, and I, th- I think for lots of different reasons. I mean, I've, I've got tons of other crises I've got to try to figure out first. Um, I, I just, I find that when people describe things, um, I've always found this to be fascinating, is that they describe it differently. And so there is a perspective. Um, and, and so when, uh, when, when someone is trying to tell a story uh, and they, they describe it in a way, and, then I, and I was there, and I hear two people describe it, and I'm going, oh, I know, I know why you said that, and I know why you said that, and I know why you didn't mention that, and I know why you didn't mention that. So I think the, the, when, when you try to look at the Bible in, really kind of a, in a very static, thin way, it doesn't fit. But once you put it in what I love to call real time, when you put it in real time and you understand that, that what happened there when Jesus went from to, and I'm going, okay, by the way, if we were to just do this in real time, that journey would have taken, and then you begin to describe the, the number of hours or days, and then you say, yeah, surprise, surprise, not all the gospel writers did that. Or And so I've, I've never really struggled with it. To me, it was, um, there, there was a, a, a trust that I had, and then there was a, yeah, no, it, I, I totally see how those both things could could fit. So it's really not been not been hard for me. Yeah. Um, so does anybody have something specifically from the the gospel accounts in the final weeks of Jesus's life that uh, that is that is interesting? Yeah. Um, so one one thing that you, that you run into in the final week is how uh, one the, obviously the gospel writers. Um, don't all include the same events, but one thing that frustrates people, like we can, like you said, we understand why, like Luke may not mention something, and uh, why John often mentions very different things than the other three. Um, that's well enough and good. A lot of people struggle with apparently different chronologies okay. as, through the week. Yep. And so, yep. one that's really interesting is um, Matthew twenty-one versus Mark eleven. In Matthew twenty-one. 
um, particularly as it relates to the cursing of the fig tree. Yep. So in Matthew 21, I'll just kind of summarize the sections. It begins with Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, and then it says he goes into the, uh, into the temple complex and cleanses the temple, right? We've, we've talked about that a little bit in terms of, is there one or two cleansings? And then, um, right after that, uh, you kind of have this, this little interaction with, with children and the next day, Jesus just happens upon a tree that is, that is barren. And that's kind of how Matthew tells it. Um, and, and then it goes into some, some parables. In Mark's version, it's very different. It's not as though... In Matthew, it just seems like, okay, this happened, the triumphal entry, and then yep. the cleansing of the temple, and then the next day they find a withered tree, and Jesus uses it as an, um, an opportunity to teach on prayer. In Mark, Mark chapter 11, uh, the, the, the account begins in, well, the, the, here's the sequence, and this is why people get frustrated with this. Yep, yep. It goes triumphal entry, then the cursing of the tree, then the cleansing of the temple, and then coming back to explain the cursing of the tree. So you don't get this initial cursing in yep, Matthew's version. Yep, yep. And uh, so just real briefly, why, why I think Mark gives his the, the way that he does, and Matthew just didn't happen to include the, the cursing. Um, we had a, I had a professor at school who loved the phrase Mark and sandwich. He says, if you go through Mark's gospel, Mark loves to talk about a thing, interject a different thing, and then come back and talk about that first thing again. And so he, the outside is the bread. Yeah, it's like ABA. ABA. Yep. And so he calls it the Mark and sandwich. And so here, uh, that's what you get with the fig tree. The fig tree is the bread, and the cleansing of the temple is the peanut butter and jelly. Um, or, or bologna with cheese bologna with cheese. We've actually had quite a lot of discussion lately on staff about why some people thumb their nose at bologna and others are more okay with admitting that when done well, it tastes good. I know. So I I know that brings a whole other set of problems. Is it pretension? Is pretension the key factor preventing people from enjoying bologna? It's the joke that people have about, you know, nobody, nobody ever admits they go to McDonald's. Well, then how do you have like four Gajillion people <laughs> serve. Someone's lying. Someone's lying. Okay. Anyway, so we've got this Mark and sandwich yes. with with the uh, the tree, then the cleansing, and then the tree. Yes. And so what what Mark is doing, or what he's recording, Jesus is having done, is the the tree is serving as like a, a an enacted parable. So he curses the tree, and if you go and and I we probably don't have time to go and read these, but if you go and look at Jeremiah 24, the first 10 verses, and Hosea 2, 12, you see Israel being called a fig tree. Yeah. And you see God prophetically describing the destruction of that tree due to their disobedience. Yeah. So if you if that's your scriptures and you know them well, when you see Jesus start cursing fig trees, that's like a divine judgment yeah. move. Yeah. And they're like, Okay, and, and he's not—he's not mad at the tree. No, he's, he's using it as an object lesson to teach his disciples. Yes, yeah. and so in Mark eleven, he goes and he—he he says to this to, to this tree, "May no one ever eat fruit from you again." And then it says the disciples heard it. Then he goes in and he turns the temple. He 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 cleanses it. And so I think the 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 tree example is, I'm going to show you my divine authority to judge. And then he goes and he, I think the temple is from that point rendered null and void. I don't think that 
sacrifices would have ever been acceptable there again because he cleanses the temple in a very different way than he does in in John 2. So I think it is a second cleansing. And then the next day, oh, they, yeah. they there, can, there are two cleansings. <laughs> the next day he comes back and, and then they see the tree withered and it says in verse 21, then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus, and this is what's so fascinating to me, Jesus says, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. And so uh, another thing that we kind of read into this is that it's this strange pivot. Jesus curses a tree, curses the temple effectively, comes back, looks at the tree, and now he's talking about the power of prayer. Yeah. Like you, you, you will have the prayer that can move mountains, but that's not what it says. Literally it says this mountain. And, uh, I had never noticed this before, but this particular professor said, what mountain would he have been talking at? What, yeah. what do you think he was pointing yeah. at? Yeah. The temple Mount. Yeah. And so Mark arranges it. I think it happens in this order, but Mark really highlights that Jesus is coming in judgment. Whereas in Matthew's account, it, that, that is not as emphasized because of the way that he sequences it. So I think it's really actually quite simple to resolve. Matthew just doesn't record the first part for whatever reason. Matthew's doing other things. Yeah, so take a look at the at the Matthew 21 text and the, the Mark 11 text. And I, I always like to at first go, okay, so what is the problem? Mm-hmm. Okay, I see it, right? I, I acknowledge it. Acknowledge there seems to be a discrepancy. And then say, okay, so what are some ways to explain this? And one of the things that I love to think about, actually, is the reason why I don't struggle like you were describing, Justin, is because we we do see some what I consider to be literary dependence. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that. I don't know exactly how they worked. I, I believe in Matthew writing first. I believe that Mark is an edited version of Matthew, which is kind of what has been the longest tradition for that. I believe Mark is or Luke is gathering these sources and he's bringing them together. Um, and then I think John, who's written at the end, is is literally including stuff that nobody else included, and he even says at the very end, "I didn't include everything." Yeah. So when when I when I when I'm trying to figure out what they're doing, I genuinely believe Mark is aware Peter's information. Mark is aware guiding of the Holy Spirit. Mark is aware. I think he has Matthew, mm-hmm. or at least an awareness of Matthew, and then he decides to tell it like this. And he doesn't seem to see a discrepancy. <laughs> yeah. And and that really does something to me. That really says, you know, if I'm recounting an event that all of us were at and you guys never never challenge me, then I think it's right for everybody to go, oh, yeah, no. I mean, Justin and Ryan were there. Jim retold the story. Those guys may have told it differently, but they never said, oh, Jim, that's not what happened. Yeah. So I, th- I think that really does help me. Yeah. And in the case of Mark, even though his book is overall shorter, his individual stories are are longer than Matthew's typically. And so I think he did have a copy of Matthew and I think he's confirming it with Peter and Peter's like, and also let me tell you another thing about that day. And it's like, it's filling out. Right. And so that's why I do believe Matthew's first. It's interesting to think through like a lot of the questions that we have, or even the problems that we have are so new, like modern questions that they weren't trying to answer in some ways. Just history and biographies were written differently back Mm -hmm. then. The way we do history writing, biography writing, is a few hundred years old, not a few thousand years old like yep. these texts. Yep. Really, like the main purpose of biographies in the, th- that day in the Greco-Roman world was to show the character of the main 
the the uh, yeah, the character of the main person. Mm-hmm. And so, what what was this person like? And so, it would make sense with that. They're not trying to create stories that didn't happen. Okay, that's not that's a different category of thing. They're actually trying to work it to highlight certain aspects. Yeah. And so, when we talk about things like the portraits of the gospels, what their meaning is. There is some artistry. There is some freedom that the Holy Spirit allowed these human writers to have to show pictures of Jesus that are true pictures of Jesus that are different and a little bit unique. There really is some some beauty in that, some artistry in that, some literary devices that are being used to show some different things about Jesus. I think sometimes when we talk about artistry, we almost talk about like this free-flowing, well, I'm free to do whatever I want. And that's not the kind of artistry that we're talking about. It's still an artistry that is bound by greater desires, which is the artistry is not, how can I express myself? It's no, how do I tell this very true story in a way to this particular audience yes and 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 how can I then um, under the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit uh, according to my own creativity and to my own artistry um, kind of relay this information yes. and so it's happening intuitively it's happening culturally it's happening very much within kind of their own framework of that thought yeah if you're gonna tell the story of the gospel to our staff yep you're going to say it differently yeah, than yeah. if you were going to go talk to our kids, than if you were going to go talk at the school board meeting. Yeah. Like those would be three different things. Yeah. You're, you're saying the same things. Matthew's writing to a predominantly Jewish audience, possibly. Mark's writing to a Roman context. Luke's writing to a prominently Gentile audience. John's writing in a very theologically rich way. And, and that would mean there's going to be distinctives in that. And that's okay. It's a boundaried I like how you said that. It's a boundaried artistry. So, Justin, I want you to talk a little bit about, um, and I want to interject something first, but I want you to prepare to think, uh, to, to explain just how different John is from the from the synoptics, okay? Um, but before we before we do that, I, I definitely want to encourage you one more time to go back and take a look, um, and, and I don't think we'll talk about it necessarily, but, you know, what Ryan was describing about what Mark does with just this brief episode, this brief statement here, um, you know, Ma- Matthew really makes it much longer. There are a series of parables, and if you go back and you take a look, sure, he doesn't do a sandwiching of these ideas, the cursing of the fig tree. But if you go back and you just take a look at the the parables that come after that, right? So after Jesus' authority is challenged in chapter 21, he tells the parable of the two sons, which is a condemnation of the way that things are. And then all of a sudden the parable of the vineyard owner, which Mark shares, same condemnation. The wedding banquet, same condemnation. Um, and then you've got some encounters. But then when Jesus comes back, I mean, there's some real strong um, uh, kind of religious uh, – religiosity is attacked in chapter 23. And then you've got some ongoing parables that happen where Jesus is really describing difficulties. And um, you even have in Matthew's account, the parable of the fig tree uh, in chapter 24. So with the destruction of Jerusalem. So it's almost like Matthew's got many, many, many stories and Mark's just doing it in a shorter time frame. But the, but the theme is so similar. And that's why you really have like a two different ways of looking at it. Yep. So take a look at those themes in Matthew chapter uh, 21 all the way through 24, 25. Um, you, you really do get a, a bigger sense of what's going on. Anything you want to add to that, Ryan, before Justin no. deals no. with the John difference? Nope. I'm just looking for more discrepancies. Found one. <laughs> That's awesome. Found a good one. So uh, Justin, share a little bit about, because truly Matthew, Mark, and Luke are different than John in so many ways, but the, the final week is probably the biggest difference. 
There's a ton of... Don't talk about the temple. Okay. There's a ton of teaching that Jesus does in John that John records that we don't find in the other Gospels. There's a very extended pneumatology that we find that... Please define pneumatology. You define it. It is. I don't know the definition, (laughs) Ryan. Help teach me. Can you tell me what the word pneuma means? Spirit or breath in the Greek. And so so pneumatology is just the study of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So Jesus teaches pretty extensively on the work and the role of the Holy Spirit, which we find almost nowhere else in the New Testament. It's actually pretty unique to John and the whole of Scripture. You get a big chunk of it in John 16. We have a very developed idea of what the Holy Spirit does in the role of the believer. And actually... That's one of the things Jesus does in John, that John's recording, that it, it's so much of this is discipleship for the mm-hmm, community of mm-hmm, faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about, hey, the yep. only way to the Father is through me. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Hey, there's not just one prayer during this final week. There's actually a really important prayer that takes up an entire chapter. John 17, one mm-hmm. of my favorite chapters in the Bible, recording a long extended prayer, prayer of Jesus that's nowhere else. Yeah. I don't, tell me if I'm wrong. Is it the longest prayer other than maybe Psalms, if those would be considered prayers oh, in the yeah. scriptures? I would think so. Yeah. I can't imagine one that and would so be And so he prays for his disciples. He prays for us, which yeah. is pretty amazing. And so John really has a heart to develop some theological ideas, but they're not this distance theology. It's actually theology that is also meant to disciple the people that he's writing to and that are going Mm -hmm. to come after he's gone. So John seems to have this unique awareness that he's not just writing to his audience. That's what I almost feel like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I don't know how much they knew they were going to be read 2000 years later. Maybe they did. I don't, I don't know, but John's (laughs) almost has this hint of like, no, I know this is going to be as somebody somebody who wrote so much later. He's like, Oh wow! This is more than what we knew. Yeah. Well, and he and more they're than, all more gone. than the other ones. He got to see the longevity of the right. first three yes. and right. how they started that, to be cycled around. And the now churches. he lives in Joplin. His name's Kenny Bowles because he didn't <laughs> want the fame, but he he lives today. Just kidding. Um, Bible joke. Ha ha. Um, so anyway, that's one of the things I see in John: just the unique theology that we see there, the unique discipleship opportunities that he's highlighting, um, in addition to the unique sayings. But each of the different gospels have unique sayings. Also, Jesus. like structurally, John's. 21 chapters he gets to the final week at the end of 12 oh my yeah. goodness yeah and so he spends a ton of time yeah and you get you get all the really john 13 through 17 is kind of jesus final discourse what, mm-hmm. what it's described mm-hmm. as and you get so much there that you don't get in yeah, the very extended foot washing yeah. well and i'll tell you the the the, the part that it just makes sense right i mean matthew if you, if you think of the authors right matthew mark luke john matthew would have been there for everything mm-hmm. but not at the same level john was so even though I think Matthew was at these accounts, there's just a different level that John is engaging um, the, the, the material of Jesus and uh, kind of that disciple piece. So obviously Mark and Luke um, could use the sources that, that I'm sure I'm sure that I'm sure John's not the only one that knew that prayer. Um, it's interesting. John's the one that has this deep promise that the Holy Spirit will come and will remind you everything that I have said to you, and and then you have. Uh, in that sense, the these these long um, remembered prayers, these long remembered discourses that Jesus has with his disciples. So, not surprised that they're not in Mark and Luke. Um, yeah, and then I think Matthew chose. John's, Matthew's the other one that has the long discourses, though. Yeah, he does. Um, you know, you you deal with the Sermon on the Mount. So he again, him being there, 
Holy Spirit can do whatever it wants, yeah. obviously, right? But, but John was there for all like the behind closed doors conversations. Yeah. It's like, and he was snuggling Jesus at the Last Supper. So <laughs> you have, um, you know, one of the things that you know we talked about this a little bit when I was preaching through uh, the very beginning of John, the John two one major differences, one major difference that you have in the final week, and you've already made reference to it, Ryan, is the cleansing of the temple. Um, John does not have the cursing of the fig tree, the cleansing of the temple, none of those parables. Mm-hmm. John doesn't have any of that stuff, so it's completely removed. Um, and John does have a cleansing of the temple, but it's actually found in John chapter 2. Um, and so I, I do find it interesting, um, uh, and I, I actually see why it was. I'm a person that believes strongly in that there were two temple cleansings. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you really look at the story, so you can look at John 2, or then you can look right around the triumphal entry time, so Matthew 21, Luke 11, or sorry, Mark 11, and Luke 19. Is that right? I want to make sure you have that verse. So let me just take a look real quick. Is it? Yep. Yeah, Luke 19. I guess it wasn't at the beginning. That's what kind of threw me off because Luke 19, I was like, is Zacchaeus, right? That's how the narrative begins. But yeah, it's at the end of Luke 19. Um, so those are the those are the triumphal entries. And then you have the, the, the cleansing of the temple somewhere in that yeah. in that narrative. Um, and, and you don't have that. But if you take a look at those texts and you take a look at the, the cleansing of the temple and the texts that are being described and even what Jesus says, there are some significant differences. Don't mm-hmm. look at just the events, but look at what Jesus is is giving reference to. Yep. Um, and 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 definitely, what you have in John is far more of a predictive element. Um, and I would say early on in his ministry, yeah. um, there's a predictive element in terms of what's happening. So although I have no problem believing that the disciples uh, considered there to be a freedom in terms of how they uh, put the narratives together, I have a harder time believing that he had no problem putting it at the very beginning sure. of his ministry. So uh, there's some chronology actually has to, has to exist. But um, I, I really believe that what what if you look at just the unfolding of Jesus' life, you have the cleansing of the temple, which kind of sets it off, and then you have the final cleansing of the temple, which kind of seals it off. Mm-hmm. So it sets it up in terms of who Jesus Christ is and what he is doing, and he is describing about his body, and he is describing this um, this ultimate judgment that God's going to have. Um, and again, you, you mentioned Kenny Bowles, but he, he was one that was very influential in helping me see through this, and, and he even said, you know, uh, for those people who just can't believe that after cleansing it once, it would ever get dirty again, um, or have people come back and do it. He's like, are you kidding me? You don't think like two and a half years later, those money changers would have no, he said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were back next week. Yeah. Um, and truly there was, there was some real contention that was, that was stirred by that, that was created by that. Um, and so I believe just by looking at those narratives, you clearly see a difference between them. Um, and so the question then becomes, why didn't the, the, why didn't the, uh, the writers include the first one? Why didn't the synoptic writers include the first one? And I'm going, I don't know. They didn't include the, the the wine the water to wine they didn't include Nicodemus they didn't include the Samaritan woman so there's a number of beginnings Lazarus. yeah they didn't include but even at the beginning of his ministry they oh, didn't yeah, include yeah. a number of things um, and then why didn't John include it at the end it's because again John was had a completely different focus so if you take a look at how these things fit together and you really know how the gospel writers are writing to their audiences or with their own themes it really helps you enjoy um, the uniqueness and the diversity mm-hmm. that actually exists so. I got a question for you guys. Okay. How do you reconcile discrepancies when a very particular singular event that happened once when the when the the dialogue is recorded somewhat too drastically differently? So I'll give you an example. Lord's Supper, um, the institution of the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26. These are Jesus's words. 
Um, so he breaks the bread first, and then he does the cup in Matthew 26. So this is what he says about the cup. He says, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit, uh, from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Then they sing a hymn. So that's so it's blood of the covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Luke's version says this. I have fervently desired to, so this is Luke 22. I fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said this, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he moves on to the bread. None of the blood of the covenant stuff, none of the forgiveness of sin stuff. So it's, it's not like they're yeah. recording, um, different event it's the exact same event how do we reconcile the fact that luke says he says this and matthew says he says this so they're basically the same thing but yep. there's some differences so how do we how do we deal with that okay so here here's here's my favorite thing to do is to say okay so what was what what was what was omitted this is like if i if i listen to you right um, so I'm, I'm, when I say I'm not prepared, I've, I've probably looked at this in the past, but you didn't give me any heads up on this. <laughs> um, what I like to look for when there is um, either an addition in one or an omission in another, but I want to talk about the addition of Matthew. So they're they're not disagreeing about I, I'm gonna I've eagerly desired to do this or I'm not going to do it again. Like that's a that's a common theme in both of them. There seems to be a difference in the for the removal of sins, mm -hmm. okay? And I love to go, okay, so where else does Matthew love to talk about sins, okay? And I love to I love to look at the beginnings and closings. And Matthew is the only one that literally said that Jesus is going to come and he is going to come and what he's going to do, he's going to save his people from yep. their sins. And so um, I, I love the, the beginning of that and I always think a lot about that. That's what the angel says, is that he will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so here in the Last Supper, he is actually saying, I want you to take, I want you to drink this because it is for the remission of sins. Yep. So it seems to be, and we could even say maybe that's like a Jewish perspective that not not the gentiles don't want yeah. to include it but the jews really understand the passover and so the jews yeah. really understand what this cup ultimately yeah the connection means. of blood and forgiveness yes the connection of blood yeah. and forgiveness i think that would be that would be one of the first things i would just automatically go when you see an addition where else has that been highlighted yeah and where else can we see that and i bet you there's a number of other ones that uh, oh, sure. that, that, that exist in matthew's gospel that don't come off the top of my head another thing that like i i've always thought that this might help soothe some of the tension there is to say if you were to ask me so let's be super conservative and say matthew was written in 50 which i don't know closish yeah so 20 years after the fact if you were to ask me what somebody said 20 years ago i could tell you truthfully but probably not precisely word for word sure but i would still be saying t telling you the truth so when they recall like I think the Sermon on the Mount was like preached frequently, and I think that it was long enough that they they could recall the gist of it. I don't think it's a transcript. Yeah, I think it's this is what Jesus preached about. So I don't think that 
Jesus preaches this sermon and Matthew just memorizes it. But I also think that the Holy Spirit is definitely involved. And so there's a lot of that where when when they're they're saying basically the same thing with possibly some different verbiage, I'm like, okay, yeah, they're telling the truth, but not with like laser precision, which goes back to what Justin was talking about, that we expect different things of biographies and histories now. And we have different... skills and lack of skills that they may have had or not had in terms of memory one of the things that they are very very concerned about is the 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 rightness of the text and so there that was like a part of the jewish culture and then they were really strong with oral tradition in in such a way where not everyone could necessarily read or had access to read some of these things and so Learn it young and remember it and then tell it to your kids. Yeah, storytelling that was, society. That was, yeah. that was really strong. So oral tradition then probably was a stronger, well, our ability to remember things at some level has been lost, not lost, but diminished because of yeah, our diminished. Uh, the way we scroll through stuff. and just We ingest so much information and we just put it into the trash can very quickly. Well, think then, about, right, I mean, I remember, the, so this is before your guys' day, but I remember in my day, um, we still weren't allowed to have calculators in math class. You still had to kind of figure it out on your own. And it began to change, but I remember when they became very common. And, you know, now I can't imagine it being a problem. Uh, so earlier and earlier and earlier. And, and But I remember having the conversation, why do I need to remember these things if I can just have a calculator? And again, there's, I get the question, but then you'll never have a calculator in your pocket at all times. Exactly. What are the chances that you'll have that? So that's the part that you realize something actually is diminished Mm -hmm. because why? Because we rely to get that information from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so definitely a culture that has that, um, uh, that we, that had it, that we do not have the same thing. Any other thoughts, particularly in the final week, um, could either be a discrepancy or an addition or a highlight, um, that would, would, uh, would kind of bless us as we prepare for Easter. I think about the two prayers I mentioned John 17 earlier the fact that Jesus prayed for us that like I don't know that's always hit me <laughs> yeah that in the scriptures we like Jesus is thinking of us that makes me want to cry um, and then his prayer at Gethsemane not my will but yours be done the fact that he he knew like he knew what was coming and it, it really did it, it moved him yeah and, and he said not my will but yours be done. and I'll never forget Sorry, being in, being on the Mount of Olives and, you know, getting to pray, yeah, quote unquote, there. Yeah. And getting to see you guys pray and just. I have pictures of both of you on the rock that they believe was mm-hmm. the rock, right? So there's all that. Yeah. But I have actually pictures of both of you that I've kept. Um, and you're both just there beside that. That was a, that was a very important time. Yeah. Stevie, you were there. What? You were there when we were, when we were in Jerusalem. How many of you guys have been thinking about. Is we're even having this conversation, you're literally having mm-hmm. visual oh, yeah. visual memories of the Kidron Valley and the yeah. Temple Mount and yeah. the steps of the Temple Mount and the Mount well, of it Olives. it helped me even see how like what a temple cleansing would look like because there's yeah. so many different even though the, the the temple's obviously no longer there, the complex is so big it would have to be <laughs> like this kind of localized yeah. event in the yeah. in a court of the Gentiles or wherever, and it's like I could just kind of picture, okay. I know what steps I I do know what steps you probably went up. Um there definitely wasn't a dome up there at the time, <laughs> but Do you have one, Ryan? It looks like you're looking at something. Yeah, well I'm I'm trying to sort through which of the uh, I know there is a discrepancy in the uh Peter's denial in terms of the number of where the 
I can't remember which one doesn't agree. Oh, yeah. So in Mark, the rooster crows twice. In Matthew, when Jesus is denying his Lord. Where'd it go? In Matthew, I think it only crows once after he denies him three times. Yeah, I think it just says it crowed, if yeah. I remember right. And so it it's really not a hard one to reconcile. Again, it's it's one gospel writer gives a a it's it's not a different detail. It's like a further detail. Yeah. And so, but I, it, those are the kind of things that that people are like see your books are all weird and clearly I'm like, or they're telling the same story different. Kind of where I get to. So yeah. Um. Well, I hope this has been helpful. I hope that uh, that you've been not not only encouraged to uh, to take a deeper look into them, but to not be confused or frustrated by a lot of the differences, but recognize how they're trying to highlight very important parts of the gospel story, and not just for the audience's sake, but ultimately um, so that the audience can know the truth about who Jesus Christ is and what he did and what those events were. The gospel writers seem to care so much to accurately portray the words and the events of Jesus so that we would have uh, life by putting our faith in him. That's kind of that repeated idea and that repeated theme. Um, and I, I'd like kind of breaking down the, 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 the time frames of Jesus so that I can take a look at these things and understand what's happening. And, and obviously the final week is just so mission critical for who he is and for what he's doing. So tell, tell the people, whoever is listening to this, what's that? Um, I think it's a CSB Bible that your life group mm -hmm. went through mm -hmm. where they, they kind of take the gospel accounts and line them up next week. Yeah. What's that Bible called? So there's this, I think it's just called like the, the chronological, it's just the gospels, the CSB chronological, I don't know if it says Bible, but the chronological gospel or something like that. And it's actually produced by the, by the CSB. And we went through that. We literally, our, our life group for quite a while, um, began to look at it, and we would pick one of the narratives, one of the four, and it's a, it's a harmony. So there's a number of gospels that do this, but the CSB came out with one that I, I just think is really, really good. It has different colors for the different gospel writers, and it just helps them see um, where there are similarities and where there are differences. And uh, it's always interesting when all of a sudden you get to certain parts and synoptics are gone, right? And it's just John recounting some stuff, or you can't find John there at all. It's just Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you can really look at even some of the differences that, uh, that, that happen with the wording and those kinds of things, which then highlight important aspects of who Jesus Christ is in which we can celebrate him and be really, really grateful that God has, has, has shown us unique, uh, specific examples. Did you find it? Yes. It's called the Christ Chronological Bible. The Christ Chronological Bible. Yeah. And it's, it's, got a pretty cool looking cover it's real thin and it's actually not very expensive 15 bucks so yeah encourage you to get it it'd be uh, good for you to take a look through um so hope this has uh, been an encouragement to you you know we're gonna have an opportunity just in a couple of days to go through and and see the seder service in which we remember uh, the words of christ and how they are the fulfillment of uh, what what happened at, at the first passover and how christ has accomplished uh, perfectly what God ultimately intended in terms of our deliverance and our redemption and our our, our new home that we now have with him. So uh, I'm excited about that, excited about Easter Sunday. Um, hope this has is, is some way helped prepare you for that, encouraging your faith, strengthening your faith, answering some questions. In the end, uh, our goal is, is not just to come up with an answer to an objection, but to help us see how knowing the truth about Jesus Christ really gives us a deeper and richer life and walk with him. Hope this accomplished that.